You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. everyone welcome back to another episode of the wisconsin sportsman podcast which is brought to you by tacticamp i'm your host josh raley and this is your home for all things outdoors in the badger state and i've got my co-host mr pierce nellis on the line pierce how's it going doing great man how are you doing pretty well um looking at the weather looks like we both have a cold front on the way um yes it's gonna be the first of the year for us down here what about uh what about for you guys you guys had a good cold cold push run through yet you know, we had that cold snap a couple weeks ago where it was kind of in the 50s for, for a handful of days, but then it warmed right back up, and it was, I mean, it's been in the 70s and 80s since then. Um, but yeah, this uh, this coming, I think, Friday, looks like we're going to have a 20-degree drop. It's going to carry us through Friday and Saturday and a little bit into Sunday as well. So I'm pretty pumped for that, for uh, both the, the hunting and the fishing. Right, right. Man, I've got... Uh, so it looks like Saturday, Sunday here are our prime, which is awesome. Uh, if you've got the weekend to hunt, I do not have the weekend to hunt. I'll be camping with the family. This is that time of year when I'm doing a lot of, uh, putting not points in the bank. I don't want to, I don't want to view it quite like that, but, but really spending a lot of time with the family, knowing that November's coming, knowing that those first two weeks, I'm going to be pretty much unavailable. Um, and so We've got a couple of camping trips between now and when I head up to Wisconsin for my rut hunt this year. And so I'm excited. I'm pumped about that. It'll be good. Uh, at the same time, I really do wish I could get out. Um, but I am going to get out on Monday. It's going to be a little bit cooler still. Uh, not quite in the, you know, in that just right time period or, or just right temperature range for, for what I'm looking for this time of year warming up a little bit from the coldest temperatures but it'll be a little bit better so i'm gonna get out it's gonna be exciting uh got the old thumbs up on possibly taking a deer out of the backyard here uh that could be kind of fun <laughs> figure out the. i'm excited for that one man dude figure out a little hanging hunt here man off the yep. <clears throat> off the balcony or something i don't know but i uh, still think you need to you need to just cut one really nice shooting lane so that you can just slide your basement door open and shoot one while we're recording Right. I think that would be the uh, the pinnacle of 
how to hunt deer. Right, dude. Yeah, <laughs> right out of your right out of your back door. Hey, they were they were out there at noon yesterday, um, eating around. So I had four does Perfect. in there. Had four does in there yesterday, uh, in midday, and they've obviously how far? they. I mean, from my back door, twenty five yards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 25 yards from the back door so you know it is what it yeah, is but funny you and i have joked about you know when i when i've hunted out at my folks place how you know we've got that small little five acre parcel and how i i joke about having to you know basically throw my stuff on after rolling out of bed and hiking 130 yards out the back door but you can quite literally shoot deer from your back porch if you want to yeah i don't even have to step out onto the porch i could i could just stand <laughs> in my kitchen and Sipping let one coffee. rip yeah just let one rip but um you know it's been one of those things i really like seeing deer in the backyard so i haven't quite wanted mm-hmm. to to pull the trigger um both how quickly do you think that spot would recover man i don't know that it yeah it's it it would be uh that's a really good question. Just bump next door. Yeah, I mean they around here, man, they're so used to people and so used to getting mm-hmm. bumped around. I mean, there are some guys that hunt in our area and do the whole, you know, suburban bow hunting kind of thing. And sure. you know, they they're they're used to people, uh but the moment that you step into their territory, they're very much hip to the game. Like they are not, you know, um they're not backyard pets. Right. Like mm-hmm. if I step out on the balcony, they're going to look at me the moment I am where I'm not supposed to be as a person. They're like, nope, this is not it. This is not that. Like yeah. there are a lot of things that are cool with you being out here and that's not one of them. And they're going to take <laughs> off. So uh, if I hunt in my yard, it will be hanging from a tree back there. I'll be down in the element. I, w- I don't think I'm going to snipe one from a distance. But, you know, honestly, man, if if groceries weren't so dang expensive and I didn't have so many kids, I probably wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, at, at this point, it's just, uh, it's just, we need to even think about it to knock the rust off or anything. Uh, now if a big one came through, you know, if I had a good bug mm-hmm. come through that, that would be, I would be out there hunting him pretty hard. I uh, but have you uh, seen any bucks back there? We have just smaller, you know, I mean, and I mean, I'm talking real small, like a spike, you know, like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing with any size to it. Um, not what we're seeing on seek one or anything like that. No, <laughs> no. Those guys are a couple counties over and, uh, in, in Fulton County. And I don't think that's any secret. I don't think I'm burning any secrets, but it's a bow only County, which is great. You know, those deer sure. eat in backyards nonstop. I mean, they're, they're not only being fed corn, but they're eating all the, all the plants that are around. There's a lot of kudzu in the area too, which is really high in protein. Um, so they're feeding on that. You can actually go look at some of their videos. They're like glass and kudzu patches and that kind of thing. So, you know, there's a lot working in the deer's favor down uh, in that Atlanta suburb area where they're able to get on some really, really good deer. Uh, genetics are a little different here where I'm at, a couple counties over to the west. I think the largest buck ever for our county is probably in the 160 range. Um, okay. You know, something in the 120 range is really something to be happy about um there are 140s killed here every year those are kind of the exception though um but yeah the the bucks right around here man they don't seem to like uh they don't seem to like our our subdivision too much so Hmm. um 
But that's fine with me. I don't feel like dealing with the HOA about a buck that expires on someone else's front lawn. Uh, <laughs> so that would that would not be good. But um, anyway, a different hunting culture down there. Yeah, that's true. That's they'd probably just come over and ask for some of the meat if they saw me out hunting. Um, yeah, true. Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> All right, Pierce, man, we've got we've got a good show for folks today. We've got a fun one. Yes, we got to sir. talk with with Ryan Glitzky. And I've had Ryan on the How to Hunt Deer podcast, never had him on the Wisconsin Sportsman. Definitely a guy, though, that we both wanted to talk to. In a lot of ways, I attribute this buck that I shot in 2022, I attribute that success to an episode that I heard Ryan on when he was talking with uh, Jeremy Dinsmore from the Antler Up podcast. And, you know, going into last year's trip, I had a strategy in mind, and he, you know, listening to his episode while I was actually sitting in the tree in the middle of the day really gave me confidence to kind of keep at it and to keep, you know, keep pounding away with what I was doing, but also made a couple of tweaks and adjustments of like being mobile, um, which I, I was already being mobile, but like when to leave, when to stay, how aggressive to get, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so I learned a lot from him. So immediately had him on the How to Hunt Deer podcast. We knew we wanted to get him on this year. We were going to talk about other things that were not the rut. Uh, but we ended up there anyway. Yeah. So I think that's just, uh, that's just the nature of it. We're all thinking about that. So if you're, if you're already dreaming of the pre-rut, um, you know, we got some stuff for you in this episode. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's weird to think that we're officially, uh, about a month out from, from that first week in November here and the rut's going to be in full swing and we're going to start seeing some cool stuff here in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, we, we really tried to uh, keep our, our conversation with Ryan focused on, you know, how are we interpreting trail cam data and what are we doing in October to, um, you know, uh, just plan our approach for November and we just couldn't help ourselves. We had to talk about the rut. There's no way we couldn't. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of that is too, like, like Ryan will tell you, he's like, man, I'm a rut hunter. I'm not out here looking for a specific buck. I'm looking for a good buck. Um. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's hunting a lot of terrain features. He's hunting a lot of, you know, buck sign, that kind of thing. Uh, he's not a bed hunter, which I think is pretty applicable for a lot of folks. I mean, if you're into the bed thing, like, that's great. If if you're good at it, I'm not. Um, and the places that I tend to hunt probably have less consistent bedding than than some other areas that, that you know, a lot of guys who have a lot of success, um, you know, are, are maybe used to. And so uh, just a good conversation. Yeah, we talk about trail camera data, uh, not only, you know, how to interpret that, but like what, what, is, what is good trail camera data? Like what makes Ryan get fired up about a spot? What is enough to tell him that a buck is in and using an area regularly? And I think the mm-hmm. answer for a lot of folks may kind of surprise them because, uh, yeah, we'll let them listen to the episode. I won't, tell the, I won't say because why. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a lot there. And we talked a lot about being mobile. So what, what's a takeaway, you know, for you at least from Ryan when it comes to being mobile, especially in that uh, late pre-rut, early rut time frame? I'm going to do my best not to spoil this because I want folks to listen to our episode here right. coming up. Um, the biggest takeaway for me was what causes him to relocate at a moment's notice. If he is in the tree and he is, you know, all set up for the day, he sees this, he's immediately going to, you know, jump down, relocate closer to that. Um, 
and I'll just leave it at that. But you yeah. better believe I'll be making some plays uh, off of that. Right. It, his, his strategy is so interesting to me. And this is one of the things that I took away last year too. Like there are times when he's like, get down, get your stand over there right now. And yet there are other times that he's like, I sat in this tree for five days straight and didn't see anything until he came through and I shot him. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, what gives him the confidence to stay or go? Like, what are those cues that he's reading? And I know I struggle a lot with that as being a, a mobile hunter just sort of by by nature. It's just what I like doing. I just like sitting in new trees. It can take a lot for me to put a lot of time in in a specific area. But yeah. I know last, last November, uh, I would not have had success if I had just abandoned this area. You know, if I had moved on mm-hmm. too quickly – and there were a couple of days in there that I was like, man, I need to be, I need to be doing something else. I remember one afternoon, I didn't even hunt. I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go for a drive. And I just went and drove around in glass fields and looked at deer and, and didn't end up with any intel that I ended up acting on because I killed the next day. But I got a lot of intel in my back pocket for, okay, if tomorrow doesn't work out, then this is what I'm going to do next day, next day, next day kind of thing. Um, but I stuck with that spot. In a lot of in a lot of ways, because of what I heard Ryan say. So, really, really good episode. Fired up for you guys to hear it and listen to it. If you have other questions about uh, things that you want to hear from Ryan, let me know because I'm going to get this guy on the show again. Uh, Pierce and I were both like, "Yeah, we're talking to him again, uh, real soon." <laughs> uh, yep. Try to get him back on the show ASAP because it was just such a good listen. Um, but anyway, Pierce, anything else we need to leave folks with before we uh, bid them good luck in the woods over the next few days? Um. Not a ton, man. What you just said there, it, it uh, kind of reminded me of uh, our little conversation there via text um, that we had Saturday night about how nothing makes me feel dumber than trying to pick a tree. <laughs> and I experienced that for the first time, uh, you know, hunting, hunting a tree I'd never set up in before. <laughs> I don't know if it was because the first time that I like didn't hunt a preset or if it was the first time that I was just like, or of the year where I was like, you know what, this looks like it's the right spot. It looks like it's where it needs to be, but dude, just making noise and like, right. I don't know. You carry like any, uh, any pruners or anything while you're in the, in the field to like snip branches or anything like that. Cause that's definitely something I'm going to add to the pack here, uh, going into the rest of the season, I think. Yeah. Traditionally I did not because I was under the impression that on public land, you can't cut anything. You can't do anything. Oh, so right. don't do that's it. Right. Yep. But if it is so reading the regs and, and go read these for yourself. Don't trust me. Um, I talked with a game warden. I'm all good. You're not covered by that. You didn't have that conversation with him. So, uh, <laughs> you need to be careful if you're within reason and you're cutting things less than one inch in diameter, and you're cutting them flush up against a tree, and it's not you cutting a shooting lane, then you're good to trim. So if you're climbing up the tree, and there's a little branch right in the middle of your back where you want to hang, and it's less than an inch in diameter, and you cut it flush with the tree, you're good to go. Um, I'm good to go. I don't know about you. You didn't talk to the game warden. I did. So I I know my local game warden. I did my hunting on private. Right. Yeah. You're on private, dude. I would have, Mm -hmm. I would have a little handsaw and some pruners with me at all times. Like just be ready to, to trim it out. So I do carry, um, I do make sure to carry some paracord where, you know, if I've got a branch that's hanging out, I'll loop that paracord out as far as I can over that branch 
and pull it down and tie it off to open up a hole, hmm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I'm not cutting smart. it, but I'm pulling it. You know, a lot of times all you need is a foot. Like if you move that thing a foot mm-hmm. to the left, boom, your shooting lane's wide open. And I'll, I'll do that yeah. a good bit. I've even climbed down before, you know, gotten up in the tree, realized it's not going to work, threw the paracord over the branch, pulled on it from the base of the tree, climbed down, pulled on it from the base of the tree, and tied it off to the bottom of the tree uh, to kind of to kind of pull it down, you know, 18 or 20 inches lower so that it kept yeah. me covered up. And I really like that because it keeps your cover up in the tree. You're not cutting it, um, but it does open up enough of a hole for you to shoot through. Right. Um, it still looks natural. It's not like a big bare spot. You're not, right. I mean, hopefully you do it right. You're not making any large, uh, you know, snapping branch sounds or anything like that. But that's right. pretty stealthy, uh, stealthy move there too. I like that. Yeah. I like and, that a lot. And that's been a little bit of a part of some of my presets as well. Like if I do have spots on public that I am going to preset, I've tied branches before in the off season and just left the pair oh, there, sure. you know, and go pull it after season. I don't want to, I don't want to impact the growth of the tree during the spring. So go back and snip the paracord and leave or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. definitely do it for hunting season. The tree is going to be fine. You're going to have good shooting lanes. Um, Yeah. You're leaving some sign that you were there. Mm, I don't know. Is it legal to leave it? Mm, I don't know. I guess if you're a game warden, you can write me a ticket about it. uh, If if you really wanted to, but I I think that's probably fine. And I think, you know, I think that's reasonable, but Mm -hmm. um Anyway, Pierce, do we do we want to talk about uh, Revo sunglasses? Yeah, yeah, we'll do a quick ad read here. Uh, as folks who've been listening for the last couple of weeks, we got a new partner, uh, Revo sunglasses. Um, they have a pretty sweet deal for you guys. You can save some money um, by using code Wisconsin Sportsman thirty for thirty percent off your sunglasses order. Um, I've been running these for a little over a year now. I freaking love them for everything from fishing to driving to just hanging out on the patio, having a beer. Uh, these are awesome lenses. The polarization's top notch. I'd put them up against any other uh, brand that you're seeing in, uh, you know, the sunglass section of, you know, I don't know, Bass Pro, Cabela, wherever the heck you get your sunglasses. Um, my favorite model is the Crawler. Awesome lens, really lightweight, super durable, um, blocks out light from behind the, uh, the lens as well. So my choice for, uh, for fishing. So go ahead and check them out. Um, save 30% with code Wisconsin Sportsman 30. And last but not least, we've got officially less than two weeks of inland trout season left. I've got a couple of weekdays open still. If you would like to get out of the water, uh, go check out Good Chance Fly Fishing uh, to book your trip, get in touch. And uh, with this cold front rolling in, I got a feeling things are going to be getting pretty darn good here. And we'll have some awesome uh, pre-spawn trout action. So go check us out, goodchanceflyfishing.com or at goodchanceflyfishing on Instagram. Awesome. Well, Pierce, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on this intro with me here. We're going to kick it right over to the episode right after a quick word from the rest of our sponsors. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam 6.0 point of view camera. Featuring a built-in one inch LCD touchscreen, one touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8X zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear 4K 60 frame per second footage. 
Now through September 21st, you can get a 6.0 camera, a stabilizer mount, a clamp mount, and a bottle of scrape fix for just $355.99. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, the Onyx Hunt app is a must-have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look back, high-frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the Onyx Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now, this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the Onyx Hunt app. You can try the Onyx Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the app store of your choice, or you can go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner, and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high-quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham lightweight pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Gadsden quarter zip hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to HuntworthGear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. My name is Josh Rayley. I'm your host. I got my buddy Pierce Nellis on the line and our very, very special guest, Mr. Ryan Glitzke. What's going on, guys? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Pierce, I guess you kind of have to be here at this point. Like, there was a time, there was a time I'm when it was like, I'm, you know, always pumped to be here. Though. Yeah, thanks for lying to me, bud. I appreciate that. But uh, Ryan, man, I'm, I'm glad to. February. What's that? Talk to me in February. That's right. That's right. Just kidding. Uh, Ryan, man, I'm I'm glad to uh, glad to have you on this show. I've had you on the How to Hunt Deer podcast. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. We talked about especially hunting deer in the big woods. That was a big thing for me then. I had just moved down to Georgia not long before that, and so that was extremely helpful for me. Um, but wanted to have you on again to talk here on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, and uh, I think Pierce is going to kick things off for us here. So, Pierce, why don't you take the reins? Absolutely, man. So, Ryan, I came to know about you through Josh after he killed his buck last year, and uh, basically we were, we'd been – texting back and forth calling each other throughout the entire first week of november while josh was on his rutcation and all that and uh basically he kills this buck and you know we're texting back and forth for a little while afterwards and he goes dude if i hadn't listened to this podcast with ryan glitzky i would not have killed that deer right i'm like okay well, all right well who's this guy and yeah. so <laughs> i start doing a little digging uh i you know listen to a couple of your other episodes and all of a sudden I'm like, Holy shit, this guy gets it. He's, he's on it. Um, <laughs> Ryan, you're a Pennsylvania native. Yes, sir. Um, you focus now. We were just chatting before here. Um, your primary focus is on chasing whitetails up in the mountains of uh, Pennsylvania, correct? Yeah. Big woods mountains. That's my love now. Awesome. Awesome. What, well, before we get going here, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you're involved with a number of uh, large names in the, in the industry here. So why don't you uh, just give us a, a quick rundown about yourself and uh, you know, who you're affiliated with and um, just kind of how you got started and what it all looks like for you throughout the, uh, throughout the year. 
Well, Ryan Glusky, I'm from uh, Southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, I think this will be my, it's year 31 or 32 years, honey. It starts to <laughs> match together right now as you get older. Um, part alone with Custom Gear, White Toe Addiction Team. Uh, jumped on with those guys last year. Um, it's a brotherhood. I love them guys. Uh, it's one of the best decisions I've made. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be around some of the best whitetail hunters in the country. Um, I honestly don't feel I'm one of them. I'm just trying to learn like everybody else. Um, but it's just, I'm truly blessed to be around a lot of guys who are like-minded and uh, just get to pick their brains every day and, and make me a better whitetail hunter. That's all. Absolutely. Well, judging by the uh, trophy room you got behind you there, I would say it looks to be like you're probably definitely well-deserving of uh, being in that company. <laughs> uh, I, I've done okay for a Southwest PA guy that tr gets to travel a little bit. I, I've done okay for myself. <laughs> yeah. Last time Absolutely. last time I recorded with Ryan Pierce, we, he sat down in that chair. He was walking around before, and then he sat down in the chair <laughs> and like kind of like this, and then he rocked back. And I saw all of that, and I was like, "Oh my God, what is happening behind you? <laughs> like, it looks like a it looks like a taxidermist studio in your uh... yeah." I, I've uh, paid my taxidermist house or house bill quite a few times over the years. <laughs> are you still doing a lot of mounts? Or are you doing? Uh, have you moved to like doing you know euros or something like that? Uh, pretty much now on the point. Um, I try to kill a bunch of doe, um, to fill the freezer. And then my buck tag, uh, that one there, you know, I'm, I hate to say I'm a trophy hunter. I really don't like to use that word, but, um, I tried where I'm at now is I won't shoot it unless I'm playing on mountain it, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, we all walk up on one. It's not what we thought. That's the European mount. That's basically how I look at it now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. Totally. So are you only hunting Pennsylvania this year? Or I'll be in Iowa this year also. I drew my Iowa tag, and I will be in Iowa this year, which uh, that, that's a whole different ball game out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, awesome. So we wanted to have you on here. Um, just but when this one releases, it's going to be uh, the first week of October, which okay. I know for a lot of whitetail hunters can be kind of a uh, – an exciting time, but also kind of a sitting on the edge of your seat, twiddling your thumbs, but yeah. just kind of like, well, God, the rut feels like it's forever away. Yeah, um, right. But early October is a heck of a good time to scout. And so you're a guy who gets in there and mm -hmm. you do a ton of boots on the ground scouting and you do that throughout the whole season, correct? Yes. And everything yes. leading up to the rut. Um and so we wanted to have you on to discuss with you and just kind of pick your brain on what does that process look like for you? Um, you know, starting what, what's Pennsylvania's opener again? Is it uh, it'll September be September 30th this year. Okay. September um, 30th. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. So coming up here, or I guess by the time yep. this nine days be open. Yeah. Yep. Um, so early October, like first week of October here, um, you're getting out there. What does it look like? What are you looking for? Are you uh, are you jumping right in the woods and you're going to start hunting, or are you sitting back and you're just throwing cameras out um, or you know, checking for sign? What, what's that look like for you? Uh, it's kind of three parts for me. Um, leading up to the season opener, um, this all started back in my postseason. Mm -hmm. Postseason is extremely important to me. Um, it doesn't matter if it's for the rut, pre-rut, or early season. Um, I'm putting boots on the ground in the postseason. You know, that takes up a lot of my late winter into my spring, even early part of summer. Uh, then the second part is my trail cameras. Then in the summertime, I get my trail cameras out. Uh, starting to get, you know, like I said, I'm a big woods guy, mountain guy. Um, what I've learned over the years in these areas here with my camera uh, data, 
a lot of times when I go to pull my cameras out in the summer, my velvet bucks, those are bucks I'm probably going to be able to hunt. Farm country, sometimes I lose a lot of those bucks on the on the public land. But here on the public in the bigger woods mountains, <clears throat> I tend to hold a lot of my deer. If I get them in velvet, July, August, excuse me, I'm going to have them for the season to hunt. So that's part two. I kind of get my inventory there uh, for certain areas with certain bucks is. Then the third part's in season. Once that season rolls in, um, I'm taking that postseason. I'm taking my camera intel. Then I'm that I'm putting boots on the ground. I'm in season scouting um, areas that I feel that these bucks are going to be in early part of the year. Um, that's when your in season scouting comes important. Reading the sign. You're reading. You know your all your your soft mass, your hard mass, uh, all that stuff. The browse, the bedding, all that's playing into my decisions come the first week of October. <clears throat> Ryan, I got a follow up yeah. question for you on that point. You mentioned uh, that you tend to hold a lot of your bucks. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. folks up in maybe the northern part of Wisconsin who maybe are hunting mm-hmm. a little bit of a big wood setting that's, you know, different, that, that's different from that southern farmland zone. Um, why do you think that that is? Why do, you, why do you think that in the mountains you're holding these bucks as opposed to something like a farm country where, I mean, you hear about it all the time in, in, in the, uh, the outdoor media space, right? They're all talking about the shift that happens right around, you know, shedding of velvet. And I think it's highly situational, and I think it's really related to the country that a lot of that content is produced in, right? It's all produced in yeah. primarily farm country and just just yeah. the way that it is. So why do you think that you're holding them where other folks, you know, in farm country are kind of losing them? Well, it's two parts here for me. In my experience, in my world where I live in southwest PA, the public land in that farm country, hill country setting that I'm used to hunting uh, in those areas – it's a high deer density area. Um, the quality is really not there, but what happens in those areas, it's high. I'm, I'm not far from Pittsburgh. There is a ton of hunting pressure. And what you see here, like I said, right now as we're recording this, we're nine days out from PA opener. This is when everybody's going in the woods right now, hanging the ladder stands, hanging a tree stand. Put, now they're putting the cameras up. Guys, are, most guys are putting the work in right now. And what happens is those bucks that are even two, three years old, they've been seen playing this game. They played this game on public land. What I see a lot of times is, like we all talked about that October law. I don't believe in October law. I, I believe in a law of hunting pressure. What I see a lot of times in the farm country areas in my area, everybody comes in right now, pressure, 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 leading up to season into that first week. Those bucks know this. What they do is they shift. They shift to the private where it's lesser pressure. That's where I see where I lose a lot of my bucks. I will pick some of this back up pre-rut, rut. In those areas, you know, once things start to heat up and they're coming looking for does. Uh, but my experience in those areas there, because of the heavy hunting pressure, um, the heavy human pressure, tends to push a lot of those bucks out. Why, you know, nothing's going on in the summer. You get these vel- great big velvet bucks. All this pressure starts in, and then bucks know, then they shift. The mountains of Big was a little different. I don't, you know, I got pressure, but you're talking, instead of hunting a piece of public land that say it's a 1,000 acres, you know what I mean, farm country, I'm hunting. 20, 30,000 acres in the mountains. That's a big difference. That's a lot. Plus, you you throw in the terrain. Another big factor is your clear cuts and your cover. You have nasty, steep terrain in your mountains and your hill country. A lot of that is going to sit up fantastic for bedding where these bucks know that they can, you know, be safe from pressure. Um, that's what I think what the big difference is. You know, your mountains, I think there's more security cover up in those areas to get away from the pressure and they don't see the pressure at times also. And that's why I think the bucks will tend to be in her. And it comes down to food too. You know, your farm country right now, your, your crops are coming out. You know what I mean? Your beans are, are drying up. Your corn's coming out. That changes that a lot of times there. Now the big woods, my clear cuts are always there. Depending on the age 
you know, structure changes or those clear cuts, but you got a lot of ton of brows. Acorns just here everywhere. You got a ton of food there, you know, so just the two different food sources also, I think, play in a little bit of things. So you're thinking that that October lull that everyone sees that, you know, a lot of folks they're they're complaining like, oh, well, this buck went nocturnal all October. Like, no. you know, what, what the heck's going on? It's it's a relocation to somewhere that there's more space. But yeah, your guys you're just different. working in the wrong places. Um, I got a, a ton of camera data. I can show guys daylight pictures of mature bucks. Um, a lot of it's, you know, it, it's where you're setting up. It, you know what I mean? Um, to be honest, you're hunting pressure whitetails, man. You're hunting mature timber. <laughs> Not saying you're not going to kill one, you're not going to see nothing, but you got to be in the shit, man. I mean, you got to be up in it. You have to. You know, you either going to be on that transition or be in it. You know, um, it covers key, security covers key. I'm not, I tell guys, I've been on all these podcasts, I'm not a bed hunter, but I'm a betting area hunter. You know, and I think that's what's really key is, is focusing on that security cover. Um, any time of year is great. Early, it's really important. And But your early part of the season, like we're talking about the first part of October, I'm keying big on that security cover, but your food's playing in. You know, um, you know, I'm looking for a private ag field a mile or two away maybe off that bedding, but I'm going to be set up right off that bedding still and play that where he's going to catch him in daylight. If you're hunting near that crop field, you're going to see all nighttime activity. You know, I'd rather be close to the bedding and hunt that secondary food source, hunt that hot oak that's dropping or something else, you know, or soft mash, you find an apple tree or something back here. I'd rather hunt that close to security cover than be off the ag, ag and stuff like that off of the property. Sure. So, <clears throat> You mentioned something there, you know, running out to food and stuff like that at night, and that's why they're getting nocturnal pictures. I think a lot of guys definitely do. You know, they, they like having the easy access so they can pull SD yeah. cards and all that stuff, you know, just like they like having the easy access to hang a stand on the field edge, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So your strategy then is more so get the camera near bedding, not necessarily in bedding, but right next to it, correct? Yeah, I want to either be off bedding, uh, you know, close to that transition or whatever. A lot for me, it, it's hard to explain what I see in the woods because um, I'm always looking for diversity of terrain and habitat. You know, that diversity could be 20 yards off of that cut or whatever bedding cover. It could be 200 yards. You know, that all plays in there too. Um, sometimes, yeah, it's the transition, right? There's a trail or a point coming out of a, a clear cut where, yeah, it's easy setup. Other times you got to back off maybe a couple hundred yards and put that big picture together where it's a spot to, to set up a camera to get inventory. Because my cameras aren't – I don't run my cameras to kill. You know what I mean? I'm not hunting over my cameras. I'm running my cameras for inventory purposes and gain historical air, uh, data for an area. Sure. And so, so this time in October now, it, it's, are you, you know, you've got your key areas picked out You're you, you know, where you're, you're planning to hunt come yeah. in the last week of October going into the rut and everything. Um, so, so is now pretty much the majority of your scouting done with, you know, via trail camera, or are you still going and doing boots on the ground scouting now leading in, or are you concerned with, you know, getting sent blown around or, you know, yeah. This is just me. Like, if I'm in a brand new area, you go in and blow it up, in my opinion. You know, mm -hmm. if I was going to a new property tomorrow, that's a little different story. I'm going to aggress. I'm going to walk that perimeter. I'm going to blow it up for a day and figure it out and then go in and hunt it. Um, now, these areas here I'm hunting, you know, one area I got two years. I, I've just transitioned to a new area last year. So it'd be my second year in there, and the other area is my first year. Um, but I've posted and scouted these areas, I've run cameras there. I got a pretty good idea of a game plan coming into October, what I want to do. Um, I try to stay out of these areas. Um, the work's been done. 
you know, okay? So these next couple of weeks leading up to the season, I'm trying to stay out of these sensitive areas where I – the cameras told me I got big bucks in here. My postseason scout tells me where I know where I need to be. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm going to sit back now. As a, When the first day comes in, i got a plan for the morning, okay? Maybe I get a little bit of camera intel or something. I got that intel to hunt in the morning. You know, I'm kind of putting things together. But that afternoon hunt, when I go into somewhere, I got a game plan. But as I'm walking in, I'm scouting. You know, I'm reading that sign. You know, if it's cold, I'm keep on moving till I find something hot. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, so I guess with that, then are you are you hunting early season still? Are yeah. you uh, okay? Gotcha. So you're not necessarily just waiting for the rut. You're still. No, I, I'm, I, problem with me, I tell guys is I'm a big, I love the big woods. I love the mountains. I transition there because it holds better quality bucks. There's not as many deer. It's tougher hunting. Don't get me wrong, but there's good quality bucks there where I can hunt from where I'm related to my work, my job, um, ton of public land, high deer density, the quality of deer suck. So a lot of times during the week I get off work, I'm doe hunting, to be honest with you. I got okay. some. Pri- I actually got some private farms. I'll go in and help some farms out, kill some doe. So I'm limited to Saturdays in October. Um, first three, four Saturdays, I'm really limited to one day, one hunt, morning and evening, go in, and I- I'm extremely aggressive until I'm on vacation. Now, I go on vacation last week, October. Well, now I can really start playing my game in as that rolls in. But first part of October, I'm limited where my big bucks are to basically a couple of days, which which makes it tough. Sure. Definitely, definitely. So then when it comes to having trail cams in, you know, that you've been collecting data on from, you know, all summer leading into the season here now, what kind of patterns are you looking for? Is it daylight activity, just repeat bucks? Is it, uh, you know, what's what, what are you keying in on? Um, for the most part, I want, I just want to see quality. Um, I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident in my postseason scouting. I'm pretty confident in my camera locations. If there's mature bucks in the area, these locations are going to pick them up. And that's typically what I, what I'm looking for. I don't hunt a specific buck. I just not mean for the guys that do it in the mountains, hats off to you. Cause that's hard to pick one buck in the mountains and go after that's extremely tough for me personally. What I like to do is say, I get an area, a core area has two or three shooters in it. Okay. Well, that's an area I'm going to start concentrating on. They have multiple opportunities in that area. That's what I'm keying in on my cameras. Um, that that's basically you're going to say like a pattern. I want to see those bucks just not once, maybe throughout summer. I do want to see them come in a couple times. You know, like I said, typically I'm going to keep those bucks in the general area. I may they may shift, of course, but I'm going to pick them up in a general area or another camera. But that area in general, I'm going to focus on because I have I can see I have multiple opportunities in that general location. That's what the pattern I'm looking for, more or less, is the opportunities to present itself. Gotcha. What that's something that I've been learning a lot about over the last. I guess a year or so talking to guys like yourself, talking to a couple of other PA hunters that they talk about, like, I don't know, for me, you know, growing up watching hunting media, reading articles and all that kind of stuff. I always envisioned like a good pattern is like, all right, I got this buck. He passes by here at five forty-five every afternoon. And then he passes by here at, you know, eight, 12 AM every morning on the way back to his bed. And, and that's what it means to pattern a buck. Right. And then, you know, my, my thoughts and ideas have been evolving, but they're getting to the point now where it's like, I talk to guys like you, you know, hunting your sit, your setting where it's like, man, I got three pictures of him throughout the summer and I have a pretty good idea of what he's doing. Where are you at on that? Like what, 
what's the number or the quantity or the quality even of the photos that you're looking for that makes you say, I've got a good idea of what he's doing. If he's showing up, like there is a difference between like, there's two parts to this. Um, we're talking about early October. Um, if I'm getting a lot of nighttime pictures early October. That's, you know, that's hard or leading up to October, you know, that, that there, you got to start thinking about, you're probably a little too far out of his core area off his bedding. So you got to start thinking of that. Right. I've always said, as the rut comes closer, if I'm getting multiple picks of him, say the 25th, 26th, 27th of October, he's starting to come in every two, three nights. Even if it's at nighttime, um, he's in trouble. He's in there. I mean, he's in there looking for – he's getting ready to look for does. He's starting to lay down some sign. Um, I don't give a shit about those nighttime pitchers. He's shown himself multiple times in a short period of time. Um, I'm going in to kill him. And I've killed multiple bucks like that. I've only had nighttime pitchers. Now, that's a rut situation, pre-rut rut. Um, early season um, – like I said, just coming off of summer data, um, if that buck's coming in two times, three times in a seven-day, ten-day period, daylighting, um, th- that area would be I'd be paying attention to in general for sure. You know, um, it's hard. Like I got some great bucks right now, lead nine days up the season. Um, a couple of showed me some daylight. A lot of my, lot of my bucks, majority were still at nighttime, getting a lot of nighttime picks. So that's that's that you got to start really sitting back, you know, okay. He's showing up two or three times a week or in a seven, 10 day period, he's showing up um, only at night. So you got to start thinking, okay, you got to start thinking where he's bedding at. You know, you need, you're going to have to get aggressive in that situation and really push to where you think he's bedding to catch him in daylight, I think. Right. And that, that's part of what I, I picked up from the podcast that I told Pierce about that I'd listened to that. I was like, man, I wouldn't have killed that buck if it hadn't been for, for Ryan. Uh, on that podcast, one of the things you'd kind of talked about was that piece of, you know, if it's deer in the rut and you're getting nighttime pictures, like, don't worry, you're in the area. Like you might need to adjust yeah. a little bit, but you're yeah. in, you're in the zone. Yeah. And man, I, yeah. I did that exact thing. I put the pieces together. I was like, all right, he's 200 yards that way. And it's dark. He's not showing up at all over here and he's not showing up at all over there. So I'm going to move, you know, 200 yards yeah. this direction. And boom, yeah. I caught him in daylight, wounded him the yeah. first time, caught up with him again in daylight, 75 yards from there. So he was in that area, like, daily, I'm guessing, you know, yeah. in, always, in daylight. Yeah, I always remember these cameras only show you a little sliver of the, what's going on. For, the way right. I look at every every picture or two I get, there's probably another one or two times he skirted that camera. Right. You know, so you got to play that in too. And those couple times he skirted might have been in daylight. You know, you got you got to remember all that. Right. Sometimes we, the biggest problem with trail cameras, and I have actually we've had this discussion here the last couple of weeks, couple of close buddies, like I said, with the Lone Wolf guys, White Tail Addiction guys that I look up to, is um, I think we're all getting in this trap, especially the cell cams. Cell cams are nice, but they're they're they're. I think they hurt us to be honest with you more than they help us to sell cams um, because we're chasing pictures. Right. Um, we keep looking at these pictures. That's what that's in the past already. Um, I'm actually starting to favor a little bit more back to my traditional SD cards. I pull those in the summer. I get that Intel. Now my woodsmanship's kicking in. You know, I have that Intel. Okay. I got three, four shooters in this general area. Now let's let the woodsmanship kick in. Let me go in, read the sign and go in and hunt instead of waiting for a cell cam picture to go in. And I think that's where the trap we're starting to fall to fall into now with these cell cams. Right, right. No, I, I agree 100%, man. And I, I found myself being pulled that direction a little bit last year of like, yep. like oh, I, I know where I need to be, but I also know a, a buck that I would have been happy with hit this scrape in daylight yesterday. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Like I said, they're a fantastic tool. Cameras in general are, are probably one of the best inventions we've had as hunters. You know what I mean? Right. Um, they're fun. I love cell. Like I'll never stop running cell cams. They're a blast. I mean, I wake up two o'clock in the morning and <laughs> you, know, you know, so I, I get fired up. You know. Yeah. It, but you, what I'm starting to learn because last year that hurt me. That hot weather started chasing camera pictures, waiting for cell. I wasn't aggressive. And I should have been in situations. I probably punched my buck tag. So that's what I'm looking at this year is it's just a tool. Use that data. But, man, you got to use your woodsmanship. you got to use what's up here. You know, just use it. Take that picture, and, and you got to read it like a book. You know what I mean? And figure that out. Don't let it dictate your movements. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. There's nothing worse than rolling over at 2.30 in the morning and you, you pick up your phone, and you start looking, and you're looking at your pictures, and then all of a sudden you hear over your shoulder in bed next to you, what are you doing? It's like, uh. <laughs> I think that's why my wife makes me sleep on the couch now. <laughs> right, right. It's like, don't worry, I'm, I'm not over here looking at pictures of deer in the middle of the night like a child. Uh, yeah, I get all over it, man. <laughs> that's awesome. I, you know, I'm, it's funny because I, I, I feel like I've kind of – I started reading trail camera data that way. And then I convinced myself that I was completely naive. I still think I'm completely naive half the time I'm looking at trail cam pictures. But you know, mm-hmm. I remember when I, when I first started putting cameras out, like when I was in high school and stuff and you know, getting these nocturnal bucks and I'd be like, Oh my God, look at that thing. Like we, we, we finally like, look at this buck that we got coming through our property. That's awesome. I, I, I grew up on a little five acre chunk. It's, it, yeah. you know, any, any activity was good activity where we were yeah. at. And, uh, you know, and then after a while, I was like, well, shoot, everything I'm seeing on YouTube, everything I'm seeing, you know, online and in these blogs is, well, you know, this buck's nocturnal, leave him be, stay out of there, whatever. And so hearing that, I mean, I'm kind of having a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of an epiphany here, hearing you say that, because cause you're right. I mean, and, and I've, you know, been running cell cams, uh, our, our opener here in Wisconsin was last Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've just on a meat mission last weekend and I had, you know, does showing up every morning, you know, around yeah. this time. And, uh, I'm out there having a hunt and, uh, you know, I had two does walk past my, uh, camera and 11 walked behind the camera. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, yep. I'm missing yep. something here. I, I yeah, got I've had, I told guys, man, I've had some fantastic hunts. Like I said, I don't, I'm not a guy to hunt over my camera. That mm-hmm. camera may be in a general city. Maybe I can see that camera. But I've been on a few hunts, man. I, you know, I've been set up 50, 75, whatever it is, yards away from the camera. 
And I can see that camera out there and I've had phenomenal day, double digit days seeing bucks, you know, mm-hmm. just an awesome day in the woods. And not one of those went by that camera. If so, if yeah. you just read the camera data, you'd think, you know, if you're starting to put do like, I'm not a data guy, to be honest with you, I'm a meathead. Um, I'm not going to really break down pictures and stuff like that. I kind of can put a lot of stuff in my head and figure some stuff out. But, you know, you take that situation, you pull that camera card for two, three days you know, shit, there ain't nothing going on from November 3rd to November 5th. There's nothing going on. Well, if you're in a tree stand, you're like, well, shit, these does are popping in heat around mm-hmm. 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I need to know this historically-wise. I come in here next year, I'm going to kill again. You know what I mean? That's Don't let it. Um, don't let the cameras get in the way of your ass time in a tree and the woodsmanship in general. Totally. Totally. And so, so regardless of what time a buck shows up on any one of your cameras, you're not – it's as long as he's there, you're interested. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I said, I want some consistency with pictures. I want multiple sure. pick. That random yeah. pick early or late. Like I said, if you're getting mm-hmm. early, me in October, I'm getting a lot of nighttime picks. He's showing up two or three times during the week. It's all nighttime, two, three AM. Well then that's when you're gonna start getting on your maps and like, okay, he's not he he's not bedding right here. I'm not right in the heart of his core. That's where you gotta start playing that in and you gotta start thinking, um, you know, boots on the ground. Maybe that's where you're going midday in October, start kind of okay, here he is at two AM. Where do I think he's gonna be, you know, in shooting light? So you gotta go in and start reading that sign. You know, find a rub, find a scrape, find the tracks. You gotta put that all together and kind of make an assumption where you think he's bedding and get on. Sure. And so then with that, are you moving cameras ever during the season? If you're no, but my cameras are set. Um, my postseason scout, when I go in postseason scout in either an old area or new area, um, I'll drop a pin for camera location. Nine percent of my setups plus are gonna be over a big scrape, some type of scrape. Um I be honest with you, I've been doing a long time. I go in the woods, I see a scrape, I can pretty much know I'm gonna get a mature buck on that scrape at either nighttime or daylight. I don't need to move that camera because I said I am running my cameras for inventory purposes and also for historical data wise, like I'm a rut hunter, pre-rut rut. So how I'm looking at that is, okay, these areas are really heating up. I'm seeing these does hitting the scrapes. I'm seeing these bucks show some daylight activity or whatever. I'll use that for historical data for my camera. So I don't move my cameras. My cameras are set in locations where I feel I'm going to get these bucks year round. Gotcha. Got it. Well, so I think that's, I mean, that's something that's, that's key because a lot of people, they'll have a camera set and it goes blank after a while. And then they start panicking like, Oh my God, we got to move this thing. Like I got to completely rethink my whole property. It's like, well, don't panic. It's (laughs) yeah. I always keep a couple spare with me. Yeah. I mean, I always keep a couple spare with me. You know, I'm, you know, like I said, you're always, you, you can't just focus on one thing in this game. Like if I'm in seeing scouting, you know, I might have camera two in my bag, you know, I'm going through an area and I missed something scouting. I picked it up in seeing scouting, you know, maybe I dropped camera on a Creek crossing, you, you know what I mean? Or something. I see something, you know, that's where I, you know, you still can, I don't move cameras, but I will keep spares with me. I guess you could say in oh, situations sure. and drop them. Sure. Gotcha. I'm, I'm curious about that, Ryan, you know, what are your thoughts on this in, you know, in more farm country kind of settings where, you know, I, I love hunting farm country deer. Um, I think it's because I grew up hunting the, the exact opposite of that. So farm country mm-hmm. was like, oh, my gosh, I can see that, like, huge numbers of deer in a day. Like, yeah. this, is, this is wild. But, like, there is that temptation to, oh, my gosh, I didn't, I didn't get any deer on my camera for a week. But in a big wood setting or in a mountain setting, it's not weird 
to have a week for a camera to go dry for a week. And if you just leave yeah. it there a lot of times, the, the activity will pick back up. Uh, a, a white oak may start dropping on the next ridge over, and that totally alters movement for seven days. And then oh, I mean, seven days later, yeah, everything's I mean, different again. Yeah, I mean, even right now, um, like I said, we're, we're recording this a few days out of the season here, nine days off of PA. And, you know, I got some cell cams out. You know, that transition here, it's what September 20th we're recording here. Um, that transition's either happened or happening. You know, they come out of velvet and stuff like that. You know, we've been – it was a hot, humid, miserable summer. I know it was here in PA. Not a lot of pictures. It's kind of slow. Get some bucks here and there. Then we got this cold weather here, what, the last week, week and a half. And I think it was last week or something. We got some cool nights. Man, they just lit up those cameras. I mean, I got multiple shooters like, oh, here it is. And then it kind of – the weather kind of stayed the same, so it got stagnant, it seemed like. And now the acorns are really dropping a lot, too, your oaks and that. So you're seeing some change. And now the cameras went dead for five days, six days. But last night, I had two big shooters show up. So you can't really get it, you know – look into it too much a lot of it's weather related like i said we got a lot of pressure starting to build up food's changing every day you know so you just gotta you know kind of play that in the end of the game right right how's that affecting your hunting strategy once you're in you know in pre-rut during the rut and stuff like that if you're looking at like i remember last uh november for us i'm not sure how it was out by you guys but it was hot yeah like it was Miserable. just a brutal like boring just stagnant yeah. kind of first week in november there yep. how did that affect uh you know your strategy like obviously you play the wind and stuff like that but are you still you know when it when you do have a stretch of days in the 70s and there's not a lot of fluctuation are you recording multiple sits in the same spot and just waiting it out and trusting the rut or are you uh kind of uh adjusting the strategy like last year, like I said, I wasn't, um, uh, I think I was like, so I was paying a little too much to the cameras last year. And it like, we had, Oh, it was the last week of October and the first two weeks, it was like three weeks of hot weather here. I mean, it totally yeah. destroyed the rut here. It was tough. Um, very limited number of deer you've seen. I mean, I went days without seeing anything. Um, I guess looking back now, how I would do different, um, is like I said, with my postseason scouting, put some time in these areas, getting that control camera data, having all historical data. I should have just pushed into historically good rut areas, not worried about the weather. Um, that I didn't do. I was trying, let's go try over here. Let's go try here. Now I do have some tactics that could work for me. Um, hunting the, I, like I said, I grew up hunting a lot of flood control areas, um, some river bottom stuff like that. Those areas are a little bit cooler. Um, sometimes those areas are more your 10, 15 degrees cooler. I've utilized that in them hot spell, jumped down here and had great rut action first hour or two a day like for it got hot. Now the mountains, um, that north side slope, um, that will play in lower two in your bottoms. That will play in now. How I like looking at back now, what I should have did took those rut areas historically wise that are good, put in that north slope or a river bottom type setting, and that's you know, tie all that together and mm -hmm. go into a situation like that and put some time in. Um, sure. where that area is five, six, seven, eight degrees cooler, you, you know what I mean? Um, the, the, the deer are, are in a better situation with that, um, being thermal regulated in those areas during a rut, and, and they're already historically good rut areas, you know. Kind of, I should have tied that all ends what I should have did last year, you know. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, it's if it does again, that's what I'll do, sure. So, to an extent, don't overthink it, yeah, yeah. I mean, be honest, because last year was crazy because I tell you, I was getting my balls kicked and. 
it was the last day of the real hot weather. We had, I think we had a hurricane move in or something here in PA, something come through a rain front. And that last week of bow was finally going to be cold. But I remember sitting, um, it was the last warm day. And that's what I did. I went to a North side slope and uh, longest train just in clear cut. And you wouldn't have known it was 75, 80 degrees. I think I saw, I forget how many deer I saw. It was double digits. I saw deer all freaking day. It's like, I've been sitting there playing my nuts for two and a half damn weeks overthinking it i finally go to a north side slope go to a nice area where everything's coming together and i get in the deer you know what i mean i'm sitting there whining like a little bitch for two and a half weeks because it's too hot i should have been aggressive and just went and found the damn things you know absolutely yep yeah that's good that's really good. we're all a little guilty of playing with our nuts from time to time <laughs> <laughs> the run gets long after <laughs> yeah when it's warm i tell you what i'm a rut hunter but that's definitely the kryptonite of a rut guy man if you're primary rut hunter man that warm weather oh it'll crush you it's tough you know absolutely um so i i think we'd be remiss here if we didn't talk about uh kind of what what led to josh killing his buck last year. And quite frankly, what led to me, you know, unbeknownst to, uh, without really realizing it, I guess, um, you know, killing my buck last year as well. And that's, you like to bounce, you bounce around in the woods and you're constantly adapting your setup. And I've heard you say, um, on the antler up podcast, how if you're sitting on a ridge or if you're sitting, you know, on a trail and you're seeing more activity going on the trail, that's, you know, 40, 50 (laughs) yards away, you're you're not really hesitating too much to move over there because that's where they're moving. Yeah. Do you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, well, like as a rut hunter, I like I tell guys, I think sometimes we can move too much, especially in the big woods mountain settings. Farm country is a little different. Um Big woods and that, sometimes you got to put in three, four days in a good area. You know what I mean? Because those bucks aren't necessarily coming through there every day. So situations there, I have no problem putting multiple sits in a day. Um, But how I like to place, I go in first day in a location, say it's a newer location. You know, you're sitting in there and like first thing I will always move on, I've learned this, is if you see a hot doe come through at 70, 80 yards away, 90 yards away, and she's got a buck or two, you get down, you better move now. Because I've seen that situation in the morning and actually have bucks hit that same doe trail later in the afternoon, come by. You know, you need to move in that situation ASAP. Get up, get down, and get up the tree real quick. Um, on a normal day, I see some activity. I'm 50, 60 yards out of the bubble. You know what I mean? I may sit the day. You know, I may give the day because it's first day in there. But by the end of the day, um, I'm probably really thinking about transition moving where I need to be that second day. Um, you know, that that's kind of how I play it there. Um, a lot of times I tell guys, I'm always looking for the kind of that kill tree or two in a general area. Um, once you find a general area, then you can pretty much stick to your game plan. Um, but a new area, you don't know where that's at sometimes. I know where a general area where that kill tree is um, a lot of times in a rut situation. But sometimes that takes two or three years of hunting that, you know, putting dozens and dozens of hours, dozens and dozens of days in that situation so we really can pinpoint where those deer do. So I get in a situation like that where I feel I'm in a kill tree. Things are other outside of a hot doe coming through. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show, and, and it's going to happen eventually. Um, unless I said I see a hot doe out there at a distance, out of range, I'm getting down and I'm freaking moving. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think that was, you know, one of the things I really wanted to – to get a little bit more clarity on there is because you're not saying, you know, okay, 
I'm sitting on this trail, but you know, four does and you know, a two year old buck took the trail 40 yards up the ridge from me. Yeah. And that was that I need to move now. It's you're being intentional and trusting the, trusting your process there and like, you know, trusting your scouting and yeah, that's where your scout, like in that situation there um, is my setups, how I set up Now We're talking pre rut rut here. Mm -hmm. Um, I want multiple things coming together. One location. That's what I'm trying to do. I want some, the diversity of the habitat, terrain, trails, Creek crossings, and not right here. It's not right here on top of you. It may be out 100, 150 yards. You got to think of all that coming down in. Everything's coming down right to here to where that tree is. That's kind of how I play it. That's why I won't necessarily move a whole lot sometimes because in a rut situation, um, because where I'm at, I'm feeling there's five or six things coming to here. That's pretty damn good odds. Something's going to come down at one of those trails that will come through there eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just going to say, yeah, that's, yeah, because it's so easy to be tempted just like it is with the cell cams where you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing those pictures and you're like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time where things are dead. And you're like, well, the spots a bust. I'm not going to go in there. It's so easy to, you know, get antsy. I mean, I spent a lot of days in a tree. You don't see a damn thing and you, you second mm -hmm. guess yourself. Um, a lot of that comes with experience. So going a long time, you got to go off your gut. If your gut tells you to move, um, you probably should move. You know, and that's kind of how I play it. it. You know what I mean? Like I said, you see that hot dough out there, 70, 80 yards. <laughs> you better get freaking moving. You know, mm -hmm. don't hesitate because um, probably something's going to come behind a trail here within 15 minutes, an hour or something, you know. Sure. Absolutely. And so you've you've seen results, for lack of a better term, that quick, where after a doe comes through or and she's hot, you'll see that later in that day. Oh, I, I killed a buck. Uh, I don't know which one is back here. Um, I had it. She, I didn't need to move. I was kind of in the kill tree. Um, I had a hot doe come down off a ridge mid morning. Um, there was like three or four bucks on her ass, a couple year, a uh, year and a half year olds, couple two year olds, just blasting by, you know, nothing I wanted to shoot. And it was actually next to the last day of uh, bow season. And uh, I was already planning on gun hunting. You know, it was that your mentality already, you know yeah. what I mean, towards the end of the season. And I would forget, it was like the last, I don't know, 45 minutes, give or take, of the day. And I saw a buck cut across the ridge above me, you know. And uh, he hit that trail. He come right down and I killed him in the afternoon. Huh. He, and that, that was six hours, seven hours, whatever it was later. As soon as he hit that trail, he come down and I killed him. You know, yeah. it, it just shows you how they can smell. Absolutely. And that's another play, too, that I think is important. Like, if – if you're in a spot and you do have a doe come through and she's obviously hot, just because the three, you know, one and a half year old bucks were on her uh, and they disappear and then you got an hour with nothing, doesn't mean you should leave. Like that's a good sign. You need to oh, you need to stick you right where never, you're at. I always, always once once you start getting October twenties for me, okay, there is a lunch, a get one gallon Ziploc bag of food in my backpack and two big things of water, whatever liquid I need to drink for the day. I may plan to hunt morning, scout and hunt the evening or whatever I want to do. But I see a hot dough. I see anything that resembles a hot dough. I will not. I don't care. It's going to be 90 freaking degrees that day. I will not leave that stand. Will not. That is, that is your ticket right there to kill a buck for hot dough. If you get that situation, the last thing you ever want to do is leave and you better come back in the next day or two also and be in that area hunt. Right. I, I've heard a lot of folks talk about, you know, during the rut, either a doe comes through and oh, it's just a bunch of dinks on her tail or they're in a spot and 
you know, you see four spikes that morning come through at different times cruising and they all use the same way and they, they abandon the spot. It's like, well, that spot's not really, that's not really doing anything. It's like, I don't know though. Like those, those spikes kind of showed you how bucks like to cruise through the area. Like it still may be. You got to read that situation. Like it becomes a rut situation. Like I said, I've done this a long time. I've seen a lot of this is like, I've gone into a tree in the morning and you know, it's not even day. Like you start hearing deer behind you. You don't hear a chase. You don't see the hot doe, but you notice like you've seen a lot of bucks. You know, it's nine o'clock. You've already seen five, six bucks already this morning. Some year and a half year old, maybe two year old. My, that's telling me there was a hot doe in that area within probably overnight or something, you right. know, late evening and night, that situation there, if I'm starting to see that kind of, their nose are on the ground, they, you know, them year and a half year olds and some of the two year olds, they're dumb as hell. You see a lot of that zigzagging that nose to the ground, trying to figure out something, you know, Bill trying to get on a rabbit. That tells me there was something in there probably within 12 hours, give or take, I'm guessing, you know, that situation also, I ain't moving. Something, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of time. You get a big boy come up. He's cruising through there. That's exactly right. I had a um, the hunt where I killed the deer last year, actually. So I was in the spot, and I I even made a little post about it that morning. I was like, this is the tree. Because I had had uh, a doe and a couple fawns had come through and gone right underneath my tree. And then I had three young bucks that morning come through from different directions, but all ended up right in the same exact spot. And so I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, this is where it's going to happen. Now. Yeah. I sat there from daylight and I saw the activity around 9 a.m. And I didn't kill that buck until 15 minutes before end of legal shooting hours. Now, yep. so I sat for a long time, but when he came through, he did exactly, he ended up exactly where those other bucks had ended up. Right. Yep. They all, they all crossed the same point right in front of my tree, like 15 yards. So it was, yeah, it was I, them I, that morning. I've gave seen me the confirmation countless times. Right. Yep. Yep. That's fantastic. Just that's why I'm an all day hunter, man. When you get, we're way <laughs> off that October first. Uh, <laughs> we're in a whole other uh, wormhole here, rabbit hole. Here. Right, right. Well, I, I <laughs> think getting, I think you know, Pierce and I are you know probably I mean, rut hunters too. So you you got to you got us all, all day hunt, man. When you get into October, why you all day hunt? Um, I'm telling you, guys are missing the best time. What, what drives me nuts is I get a ton of questions. Guys are asking me how to become a better hunter, a better rut hunter, or whatever. Then you go sit all day. I know it sucks, but I'm telling you, the best time of day, I see the biggest, biggest, baddest, mature bucks from 10 to 2, 930, yeah. 130, 10 to 2, man, you know, 9 to 3, and, and always in between there. I mean, I've killed a lot of bucks early. I've killed a lot of bucks late. Majority of them do come around that time. You know what I mean? But I've killed them midday. But I see the biggest son of a bitch in the middle of the freaking day. And what's crazy is, you know, that we're talking about warm weather. I can't tell you how many big bucks I've seen. It's been 70 degrees like this sucks ass. Mm-hmm. And it is 1230, 72 degrees. And here he comes with his tongue hanging out. And you're like, you're grunting and everything else. He catches you off guard. You know what I mean? He's got his nose down on the ground looking for another doe. He's off a doe going on another one. Just happens in the middle of the day when he's doing it. Absolutely. I, I feel like you're shattering the glass here and everything everyone's been told that you know, you need to have a morning stand and an evening stand and you need to be it's situational. Yeah. Hey, if we're hunting private property, a farm you know, sure, and sure. not just private guys that hunt man's property, that's a different work ethic. Right. It's a different right. work. They bust their ass too. What I do is a different way. I have my ways to hunt you know, public land pressure areas. Those guys a lot of those guys, you know, I, like I said, I've been around Andre DeQuista. 
Andre's going to hunt in the morning. He's going to scout in the middle of the day. He's going to hunt the evening. He's not going to, mm-hmm. he's looking for the hottest freaking sign he's going to set up on. He's already the best white the hunter's ever been on this earth. You know what I mean? That's his situation. That's how he hunts. You know what I mean? So it all works. You know what I mean? Just what's your situation? What are you confident? That's what you got to work with. Sure. Totally. Well, I want to circle back to on, on reading the behavior of spikes and, you know, little nubbin bucks and does and stuff like that. Cause I think a lot of guys do get frustrated. I've, I'm certainly been guilty of that in the past as well, where it's like, you're seeing these young deer, you're seeing the, the, the deer who you know, they're not the target. Right. And so the first thing that creeps into your head as well, you know, if you want to kill a mature deer or you want to kill, you know, get a big buck, you know, they don't do what the other deer are doing, mm-hmm. but you're saying still they're going to be traveling on the same yeah, what, what I see a lot of mature bucks do is they are a completely different animal. Um, mm-hmm. When I have my setups, you know, a lot of those younger bucks and does, they're going to come right down that trail. You know what I mean? What I see those bucks do, it's that faint trail. It's really hard to pick up. They're just going to skirt at that edge of that transition. Um, sometimes they come right down the trail. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, with whitetails, never and always, those two words do not exist. I've seen mature bucks do shit that a spike does. And then I've seen a man, they are smart son of a bitches. You know what I mean? I think it's a personality thing with whitetails, with all of them, bucks or does. Um, that's kind of what I've seen from hunting Pennsylvania to hunting Midwest is, uh, you know, I've seen booners chasing does like a spike would. You know what I mean? Right. And then I've seen, you know, a three-and-a-half-year-old 120-inch deer in PA that he ain't dumb. He's been, he's been shot at a couple times. He probably got stuck in the ass or an arrow. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. you know what I mean? We're not yeah. playing this game. Um, so I kind of, when I set my setups, um, I kind of, um, how I tell guys a lot of times, if you look at a pie plate, um, that's there, that pie plate, man, there's a lot of activity, a lot of action. I'm kind of sitting off the edge. I'm down around five o'clock, six o'clock. I'm sitting off to that edge to catch him where he's kind of taking that faint trail or just on the edge of that, um, where all the things I said are coming together. He's on the bottom edge of it or the outside edge of that. A lot of times that's kind of how I play it a little bit. Sure. So are you trying to set up then, you know, best case scenario, obviously would be you're in a tree that you've got that main trail within range, you know, on one side of you. And then maybe you've got that fainter trail, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, also within range and stuff. Are you ever setting up specifically on that lesser traveled trail? Or are you typically focusing on that, that main? uh, Well, uh, it gets back to like what I'm saying now, if we're in an early October situation, bed to food, bed to secondary, Mm-hmm. food source you're kind of hunting a singular pattern probably right there if you know you understand where i'm going there you're kind of figuring what he's going to do he's going to come off that point come out of that bed a certain way you're hunting that specific thing pre-rut rut say a rut full bore rut i'm catching that they're chasing i'm catching that they're going in between those they're cruising i'm not hunting one thing i don't want to hunt two things unless you unless i got a hell of a creek crossing or something like that a hell of a, a, a ditch crossing in amongst bedding areas, okay, I'm going to hunt a singular thing. I want five or six things coming together, man. I want that hub. I want that hub. And not talking about hunting a hub, but you know what I mean? Like, look at spokes for will. You know, you got all those things, all those spokes come to that center. You know, that's kind of want to be around that center. That's how I'm looking at the big picture. And I'm not looking at this on a micro level sometimes. I'm looking at this on a macro level. Okay. So I'm taking a couple hundred yards around me, quarter mile around me, the clear cuts, all that stuff. 
playing that into one, then I'm going to break it down on a micro level, okay, to where there's a couple of different terrain features, habitat features coming together where I can concentrate on to kill him in a 30, 40 yard circle then, you know, I'm not going to hunt just that faint trail. If you get, if, that, if this makes sense now yeah, in yeah. a bed and food pattern, yeah, that's a little different. I'm hunting singular, right? I want multiple. Um, like I said, I will hunt a singular terrain feature, something in the situation. Of course I will, but I'd rather have a couple things coming together um, to where I, where I'm going to have multiple opportunities. That's how my head works with that scenario there. I'm not looking at that trail or that trail. I want to try to catch a couple things coming together. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah, that that's that is exactly what I ended up putting a lot of effort into last year was trying to find that hub of of deer movement. And like you said, not like a thermal hub, but like there was a ditch crossing. There are a couple of edges that come by. I know where pressure's coming from, so that's pushing them down here. There's a waterway right here, so I know it's pushing them yeah. up this way. So all of those things came together kind of right in that, you know, 50-yard circle. And so yeah. I know everything through here is coming through this 50 yard circle. I got five or six different things all adding up into my favor. Um, yeah. Man, I want to circle back to something you said way earlier. Pierce, are you good with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I don't want to derail what you're thinking, but you talked about clear cuts earlier and how they play, uh, play into your early season, you know, I guess strategy. Um, I'm curious how you're playing off of some of these clear cuts. I'm imagining some of my clear cuts here in the South that are, I mean, you know, two, three years old, they're just thick and nasty and gnarly. And I'm guessing they're the same way up there where you are. How are you, how are you approaching and hunting those? Or is it really just informed by kind of topography around that kind of, um, you know, is that informing the movement for you? Or is it more about the cover and the food that those, that those are providing? Um, The topography is a big key. Um, you know, everybody knows a clear cuts about as easy as finding an inside corner, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. In farm country. Um, so you gotta figure the pressure out first. Um, that your postseason scouting going in, figuring where these bucks like to bed. Um, you know, you, you find out what kind of general location, like what I find out in the big woods and stuff is they kind of will bed here today. They bed over here tomorrow. So it's really hard to get a consistent pattern. That's why, like I said, I like to hunt that bedding area. So how I look at it is I'm not hunting Pacific bed. Think he's going to come out right off this one location. How I'm playing it is he's in there somewhere in this block of clear cut, but I have all these fingers coming down to that secondary food source. That's going to lead out to a primary food source. Okay. So I want to try to get where my best advantage is going to be, where my best odds is, where that stuff coming down there. You know, it's kind of similar, I guess, my rut situation. I've got a couple things coming down, but I'm really pushing the cover a little bit more to catch him in daylight activity, if that makes sense. Because, um, like I said, it, it's hard for me. I, I might just not be that. I'm not a bed hunter. I'm not that great at it. Um, it's something I'd like to get better at, to be honest with you, um, where I get more aggressive at that. But just from my knowledge, what I see – they're here today. They're going tomorrow. I, I don't see a really consistency. Sometimes you'll pick them up a couple of days, maybe on a camera or something. Um, but I don't see the consistency with the bedding. Like they're in here, this bed today, they may be a hundred yards on another point. It, that's what makes it hard sometimes. So I'll back off that cover a little bit, you know, maybe 50 yards, 75, hundred yards, whatever it is to an area that secondary food source, maybe a big primary scrape. Um, there's something leading down to there to focus on, focus attention right to there. 
Right. So you're not often hunting like right on the edge of the clear cut or anything like that. Unless the situation is like, it's right. all situational too. You know, sure. if it sets up, um, like I got some scenarios in my head right now. Um, I got two areas. I got multiple big shooters in one's a big clear cut, a couple points lead down to a big Oak flat rides out some private ag about a mile or two away. Awesome scenario for an early catching up, come close to the bedding, catch them early coming back in the morning, possibly because they're going to be a mile off that corn. You know what I mean? So good chance maybe catch some daylight activity and going back to bed. Um, there's some big scrapes in these bottoms. The other situation is when they clear cut, they left the point open. They didn't clear cut the point. That's got a bunch of mature oaks. The bucks come out of bed, run down the point, head out the same thing, some hay fields, some alfalfa fields, a mile or two away. Same scenario in those situations there. But I'm always going to favor – if you look – now this makes sense. I try to tell guys. Look at the scale of 1 to 10. Okay, you go. You got 1 to 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, number it up to 10. 10 is your food, your primary food source. 1 is your bedding cover. Me, I'm going to be at about 3, number 3, if that makes sense. Right. That's where I'm sitting. You know, I'm closer to that security cover. I'm getting aggressive. That bed hunter, he's going to be at number one, half, or two. He's right there. Right. I'm going to be off just a little bit more in a mountain setting. So, like I said, it's a little consistent. So, if he's not in this bed, he might be in this one or this one. But it all still focuses down to number three, if that makes sense. If I'm at number two right over his bed, if he's not there, I'm not going to kill him. So, if I come off a little bit, 50, 60 yards, whatever it is, to that other point, well, now maybe I'll kill them right there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So it's it's more about, again, it's kind of like what you're saying with the rut, right? Like it's it's multiple things coming together in, in kind of one location where you're covering multiple beds. Now, you're, you're not going to shoot him when he stands up. And, no, you know, early no. October, you may run into a situation where he's just not getting to you in time. 100%. He's just 100%. not going to get there. Yep. I might but, blow it up. It's, 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 it's a situation where, you know, that guy's bed hunting might be 75 yards from him. You know what I mean? I might be 100, 125 yards. You know what I mean? It's, right. It, you know, that, that it's just situational. Like, you know, I'm still where I look at it is I'm a mile, two miles off primary food source. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm close to that secondary food source or a big primary scrape off of there. That's what I'm kind of trying to play in. Right. You know, I'm not as aggressive as a bed hunter. Um, I'm just off a little bit more, you know, the plate that. Because like I said, it's more to do with the inconsistent bedding I see. Right. And I, I think that's where, you know, as I'm just thinking through this, like, yeah, there maybe aren't a lot of days that he's going to pass that spot in daylight because he's just – not traveling that far in daylight, especially in an early season situation, but your odds are going up, up, up. If you've got the ability to cover that exit trail coming from, you know, three different beds that you're, yeah. that you're, that you know about, there may be multiple bucks in there. Like who knows? So while your yeah. odds go down compared to somebody hunting a specific bed, they also kind of come back up because you're covering the exits of, you know, three different bedding locations. Yeah. And that's the key too of hunting. What I like to do in these clear cuts areas, I know I got multiple shooters in there. You know, too. So that bucket was in that bed today. He might be over here, but that other guy might be over in this general area. So that kind of plays in my situation also, where I got I'm not hunting that one specific buck. You know, I got two or three shooters in that general area. That'll kind of play in that early season also for me. Right. How are what are your thoughts on how bucks bed in and around clear cuts? Because you know, I hear I, I hear a lot of different things. People, you know, say they're only right there on the edge, they only bet on the edge. I hear other people say, hey, they bed right out in the middle of it. You're never going to see them in daylight. Um, I've, I've noticed different things with, like, especially if you've got an opening inside of that clear cut, like if you've got a big, nasty clear yeah. cut, but then you've got that spot that, you know, maybe they parked everything there and it's just so matted down as far as, like, you know, the ground is so compressed right there. Stuff just doesn't grow well. 
And so when it's growing yeah. back in, it's kind of like a, a hole, if you will, in the middle yeah. of the clear cut. Yeah. I've seen just some of the best sign that I've ever found in spots like that. So what are your thoughts as to where, where you're going to find a buck, you know, in a, in and around a clear cut? All the above. All the, okay. Yeah, right. it, it, it's situational. Right. Um, I think a lot of times depends on that cut. Like I have some cuts, like I said, that they, uh, they took the clear cut the whole way down to the points of the ridges. You know what I mean? And they're bedding off them points. You know, they're right on that edge of that clear cut or in the clear cut. It's still that's that clear cuts on the point itself. Um, so they're either right in it sometimes. Um, sometimes that clear cut will be short of that point. You know, they may be out on that point then, you know, I found them right in the middle. Like you said, I found situations where, you know, they've left some mature timber standing in the, in some of these cuts, um, or it might be some blowdowns in the middle of that cut where they're up against I I've seen, that's why I said it, it's as I just not good bed hunter. I see so many different situations. It's like, it's a head scratcher sometimes. You, right. you know what I mean? Really it is. Um, that's why I said, it's hard for me to say, I see it one way or the other. I see a little bit of everything to be honest with you. I see the dumb song business, you know, bed in the middle of makes no damn sense. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, visual yeah. bedding that you've got visual bedding on top of that, you get into that situation, you know, there, there's so many different scenarios with it. Right, man. I, I found speaking of something that makes no sense. I uh, was on a property with a client this past week and we were, we were planting food plots, but we wanted to go down and look at this bottom where, um, you know, he's seen a lot of deer come up out of this bottom before we get down in this bottom and it's like the most open spot that we've seen as far as the timber goes on his property, right down in the very bottom, we start finding beds. That's where we yeah. start finding all the sign. It's wide open. They're in the yeah. very bottom of this thing, but I'm thinking it's, it's so hot down here, you know, this time of year, they're down there staying cool. They're down there where it's, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. not nicer sort yeah. of microclimate. But, but yeah. again, just weird. Yeah. It's like, there's no thick cover. There's nothing down here. It's just way down at the bottom and wide open. Yeah. It's like I said, you see so many different situations. Now, like I said, I tell guys, you know, you always hear about the upper one third. You always hear like what I do find a consistency of is when you find a diversity of the habitat and terrain, you usually find deer. Right. That's yeah, what that's I, good. you know what I mean? To be honest with you, that's typically what I, it can be high, low, middle, around the corner. That, you know, to be honest with you, if the habitat's right. there, you know how it is. You walk an area and you get that spidey sense, it's a reason. And you, if you look around, it's probably usually has to do with something with the habitat and terrain. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really good. And that for me has, I tried the bed hunting thing. Right. And I'm, mm-hmm. again, I think I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not that good. I'm not that stealthy. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't be Jake Bush and sneak within 40 yards of a bed. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to make too much noise. I'm going to bust that buck every single time. But when I started looking for that diversity and keying in on diversity as kind of the king of what I'm looking for, um, that's all of a sudden when my, when my buck encounters started going way up was when I I made sure that I've got a lot of diversity all meeting right there where I'm at. So yeah, it depends where your it depends where your location is too. You know, some places set up great for you know if you're hunting swamps of Wisconsin. You know what I mean. Look at Dan Infall. Right, phenomenal hunter. You know what I mean. That's that situation sets up awesome for bed hunting. You look at Jake Bush hunting the big woods where he's hunting off those points and stuff like that. That's how it's structured. Everything's a little. Everybody's situation is different. Sometimes that bedding hunting is the most deadly tactic there is. Other way, there's sometimes other better ways to kill them. You know what I mean? Just what's your situation? How's you? What's the area you live at? What you hunt? What's the best scenario for that area? Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Pierce, man, we're coming up right on an hour. 
Did you have anything left that that is burning in your soul there that you got to make sure we ask Ryan before we let him go? <laughs> Aside from plans for the rest of the, uh, or I guess not the rest of you, your season hasn't even started yet. Aside from plans for your upcoming season here, um, you mentioned you're going to be doing some Pennsylvania hunting and then also making a trip out to Iowa. What do you, uh, h- how's the the time split looking like for that? What's the game plan going in there? Uh, like I said, we open here in uh, September 30th in PA. Um, I will be balls of wall every Saturday I can in the mountains. Um, then the last week of October, uh, I start my vacation, I think around the 22nd, give or take. Um, so I have the last week of October to really put some time in, uh, in the mountains if I didn't kill one on them Saturdays. Um, to really put some time in the mountains, that pre-rut, scrapes, stuff like that. I'll get pretty aggressive, hopefully. The weather cooperates. Uh, then I think I'm leaving, I think it's the uh, October 30th, I'm leaving for Iowa. Um, I have three weeks to uh, spend in Iowa if needed. I would like not to spend three weeks because I have a family, uh, but I have that option um, to spend three weeks there if I need to. Dude, God, three, three weeks, three weeks yeah, in Iowa. I would Iowa. like to kill in Jeez. like three days, four days, and if I still have a PA tag, come back to PA and kill one. That would be the, you know, the the, the thing. If I still get a PA tag, that's going to be burning a hole in my pocket, though. I would like to kill in Iowa that first week and then come back and finish up PA if I need to, you know. Sure. God, having the, the liberty to focus or dedicate – three weeks to killing a deer in Iowa. I know a lot of people who would love to be in your shoes. Yeah. I got a month vacation I take every year. So, uh, yeah, last week walked over in the first three weeks of November. So I love it. Good deal. That's a really good deal. Um, other than that, Josh, do you have anything else? No, I think that's it, man. Um, this Ryan, this has been an awesome conversation. Again, yeah, thank you, super man. appreciated. Yeah, Glad we you went could down make some the wormholes there, boys, and oh. rabbit holes. We, we started over here, we ended up over here. <laughs> that, that's perfect, though. I mean, we 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 talked before this, and and we both know that like you're you know pre rut rut. That's your that's your thing, right? Yeah. Like that's that's your time to shine, yeah. and and. You know, that's where, like I said, hearing you on that on that other podcast helped me to uh, on the Antler Up podcast, actually, with Jeremy Dinsmore, also on our network. Um, so but hearing you on that podcast is what kept me in that tree on that 70 something degree day when I was ready yeah. to jump off into the ditch and enjoy yeah. some of that water. But, um, yeah, so I appreciate everything that you do, man. Thankful that uh, you could make the time to come on here. If folks want to keep up with you and your season, where can they do that? Uh, you follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active. Um, once season starts, I will do a daily kind of thing up there every day of my hunts. Um, move seventeen twenty. Um, big thing I can tell everybody out there, you know, a lot of technology out there right now, you know, with everything. Um, it does not replace woodsmanship. If you want to become a better hunter, put the boots on the ground, become a good woodsman, you'll kill a white anywhere in this country. Right. Absolutely, man. That is that's such a good thing. I think we should probably do an episode one day, Pierce, just on mm-hmm. what is woodsmanship. I mean, that gets that gets thrown around a lot, and, and I think yeah. that in this day of of technology and map scouting and, and cell cameras and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, I don't think it's getting – I don't think that it's totally lost, but I do think that uh, we're less inclined to flex that muscle. And so, yes. you know, we know some of the basics maybe, but we're not sharpening our woodsmanship. I, mean, I think there's one thing to understand some principles of woodsmanship – and then there's another thing for it just to be sharp, for it to be, yeah. you know, a tool that you can use, like you said, anywhere. You can go anywhere yeah. in the country and use some some basic principles, and, and you're going to yep. get on deer. So, uh, Ryan, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week.
That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.